You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. A message about the God of Peace. We put the title of the message up now. God of Peace. And it's a phrase that we see in the Word of God that is repeated again and again. And um, we're grateful to the Lord for all that He has done in our lives over these years. We want to pray right now for the offering as I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit. Lord, of course we want to give. Of course we want to participate. I always want to rush into your word because the word is so exciting to me, but I also believe and understand the principles that we have in in seed time and harvest and giving and reciprocity. And so God, I'm grateful for this opportunity to give. So bless the offering. Bless anyone that gives in the offering. I pray for Isaac's blessing upon all of them, a hundredfold return. Let it be amazing. Let it be astounding. Let whatever they do and whatever they contribute be uh, mesmerized at how the response of your power is in provision. So Lord, we're asking, asking for you to do as you please. Lord, have your way uh, in our finances. We yield it to you knowing that you will prosper. So Lord, bless the offering in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read a passage of scripture to you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and we know that Eternal Father is the Father, Mighty God. All of these names are consolidated upon one single being, and of course that is the one that has always been eternal God, God of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I like the mention of the Prince of Peace because I see it as Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he was born as the only Son of God, the God of Peace. And so he works from a platform of peace, and he came in peace to us on earth. That's why he was represented riding on the back of a colt or a donkey, because he came in peace. It reminds me of those old science fiction movies, you know, where the uh, aliens come. We come in peace. You know? <laughs> he came in peace. Now, the next time he comes back, it's not going to be a peaceful return. He's coming for war, and that's why he's been, he'll be mounting a stallion when he comes. But I thank God that I'm part of the peaceful dispensation of God's love for me that has been granted. The sacrifice was made as an atonement to do what? To make peace. And when you think about the word peace in the Greek, irene, it means a joining together. It means things that were separate being brought together. In other words, if you have a friend and you love them and you get into a fight or an argument, you are separated. And reconciliation will be the two of you coming back together. So reconciliation is where two parties have been estranged. They're separate from one another. There's problems and later... Uh, someone, a mediator, someone can bring them back together. We know that a mediator is a name given to Jesus. He was a mediator between God and man. So we see the role of him as the Prince of Peace throughout the Scriptures. And actually the title, the God of Peace, is given to Jehovah God. The God of Peace is all-powerful. The God of Peace is wonderful. And there are, of course, during the time that they would refer to God as the God of Peace. And Paul was particularly fond of this Phrase, May the God of peace, he would say often. The God of peace that. The God of peace this. 
And it's because Paul had a deeper understanding of the gods of Mars, Mars Hill, not the planet, but the regions there in Athens and all that, and there were gods for everything. And there was a principal god, a god of war, that many people worshipped and honored. And Paul decided, you know, our god is not a god of war, but our god is a god of peace. Now, he was not doing much, he didn't invent the term, it already existed in the prophets, and in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the God of peace throughout the scriptures. In fact, he was seen as uh, the Lord is peace, the altar was made, uh, Jehovah Shalom, he was called the God of peace. But Paul liked this term because he was speaking to Gentiles who formerly had been worshipping the God of war and other deities, the God of violence, the God of blood spilling and horrible deities. And so we see that when he mentioned, I believe, and this is the revelation I got as I was studying here today, when he mentioned Jesus as the, the, the Prince of Peace in the Bible, when he mentions God as the God of Peace, he means that there's a reconciliation or bringing back together. And in this time and moment, I'm grateful that he has chosen us our God is greater than all the gods of earth, even if there are gods of division and gods of destruction and gods of war. There are many spirits. Uh, spirits are real, by the way. Demons are real. I have come across them many times through the years. Recently, a very close friend of mine and I um, both saw the same face in dreams. And uh, it, looked, it looked kind of like a, um, this particular face was like the face. It was kind of corny to say... Like almost like an anime character or an old uh, Chinese movie boss, mean guy, uh, you know, like a loan shark almost. And he looked mean and pitted face and vectored lighting from below. I mean, a very specific image I saw and felt connected with other things. And someone that I was talking to, totally unconnected, they began to tell me, you know, I had this weird dream. And when they mentioned it, I said what they saw. And you saw a man, and he looked like this, and he had a wide nose, and, he, and, and the person said, oh, yes, that's exactly what I saw. Now, when that happens, don't be freaked out or creeped out. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. What God is doing is revealing spirits to us. Yes. The spirits are real. They are out there. Uh, they are going to do what they want to do and move around, but we have a greater power and a greater authority. When you see such a thing, all you have to do is say, I'm aware of you, and I declare over you the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That every knee bows, every tongue confesses, even demons, all of those below and above, it says. So that means every demon from hell must. He won the victory over that. So we have victory, we declare that in the name of Jesus. Spirits have never frightened me in that regard. Only in the very first years of my Christianity did I get spooked easily by such things. But of course, they always carry some funk on them, I call it. You know, you feel the, uh, the dirtiness of it. But you don't have to be afraid. Um, the time I was in Takanang in the hills near uh, in Aceh province, I was there and I was preparing to do this conference. And very early in the morning at the time, the call of prayer started in a place that specifically uh, full of, those, of the people there. And of course, you know what I'm talking about, religion. As that call of prayer come out, they were from all around, from all around. Now somehow, when that happened, I woke up half awake, half asleep, and surrounding me were men angry, punching their fists like they wanted to kill me. And they all looked furious, angry faces. I've never met a happy demon. They're always mad. 
They're always angry because they have one agenda, and that's given to them by their leader, steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. I think I see them at the morning meetings before they go out into the fields of their work chanting, steal, kill, destroy, steal, kill, destroy. It's because they want to fulfill the agenda of Lucifer, and then they go out into their workplaces, and of course, they are given uh, certain tasks and things to come against you, but you don't need to worry about it. God is greater than all things, and we can trust Him. Now, there's war being fought uh, each day to try to take our peace away. And the God of peace can give us peace even when the enemy tries to steal it. Uh, I was reading uh, an old message uh, this morning, or, or for part of it, by Charles Spurgeon, and he mentions a, a certain cleric or a theologian from the 1700s that identified five great enemies to peace. And really, I thought it was interesting, so I wanted to talk to you about it as we move into this message. The five great enemies to peace. Avarice, ambition, envy, anger, pride. That the things that come to take your peace away will always be connected to these enemies. These are, there's, there can be a spirit of avarice. There can be a spirit of ambition on someone that is not God-driven, but is in fact demonically induced. A spirit of envy, a spirit of anger, a spirit of pride. All these things can be identified as spiritual entities that work to suggest to us, to lead us, to guide us. And they are the enemies of peace. Imagine that peace is Batman, and this is Two-Face, and um, the Joker, and, you know, I'll go down on Mr. Freeze, all these, or is it Dr. Freeze? I forgot, I'm sorry, I'm not up on all my Batman. I'm more of a Marvel guy, less of a DC guy. But avarice is extreme greed for wealth or material gain. And I put here in parentheses, uh, what you, or in brackets, what you want to gain for yourself. In other words, your avarice, the things you long for and desire, if you get on a road of constantly wanting to gain for yourself, your peace will be taken from you. Your peace will be conquered. Now, I'm not saying that it's not bad to want things, but now it's very important that you notice that each of these uh, parenthetical connections to the definitions that are straight out of a standard dictionary are involving things you do for yourself. And the revelation you gave me today was that peace has no chance in our life as long as we are focused on ourselves. And it's so funny that the lie of the enemy is to teach you if you turn inward, you will find inner peace. And if you hum a certain way and burn a certain amount of incense or do a certain thing, you look to the inside and you will find that peace. And, and that's not true. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's Satan's agenda to teach you to look in the wrong place. He wants to misdirect you. And so avarice, greed for wealth, is what you want to gain for yourself. Ambition, a strong desire to do or achieve something. There's nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy the feeling of accomplishment. But when it's connected to self, this is what you want to do for yourself. I want to make something great. For what? For me. I want to, I'm going to make all these cookies, and I'm a good cookie cooker, and I'm going to, that's a stupid bit. <laughs> I'm a good cookie chef. Pastry chef is the better name. I make these delicious cookies. Oh, what are you going to do with those cookies? Well, they're all for me. Well, see, that would be ambition directed wrongly. Now, if you were using energy toward making cookies because you know a bunch of poor people that cannot afford cookies 
And you may sell some of them and then use the product. In other words, you have another pen. It's okay to be driven by that kind of desire. But in other ways, you know, that ambition, a strong desire to do or achieve something. And what you want to do for yourself. Another one is envy. Envy, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. You understand? Envy, jealousy. You look at what someone else has, you decide that you want that. Well, that's, that is the same thing, this envy. And this is what you want from others for yourself. When you look at someone that has things and you want them and you're angry at them because you don't have it, I want that. In fact, you can tell real envy because it becomes so dark that it would rather destroy the thing than allow it to be shared. And it's, I want it all. That selfishness is envy. Like I think of the two women in the time of Solomon who um, had the babies and the baby died in the night and she switched it out because at that time she saw her baby was dead. She saw the other woman's baby and she was envious and she wanted to take it. She took it, claimed it was hers, but later Solomon in his wisdom understood the spirit of envy. He could see it and he knew how to expose it. And he said, okay, well then let's cut the baby in half and give half to you and half to her. And of course, the real mother said, no, give her the baby. It's hers. It's hers. And this is exactly what exposed that. But envy is an enemy, an enemy of God's peace in your life. Anger is the next one. Anger, a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Now, this is what you insist you get. In other words, you want it for yourself, and you become disgruntled, angry, and upset because you can't have it. So all these things are focused inward. And you can turn all these around, but these spirits are all coming to steal, kill, and destroy your peace. So identify the enemy before we move in to see the anecdote or the answer to our problem. The fifth and final one of the, the five enemies of peace is pride. Pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements the achievements of one's close associates, or from qualities or possessions that they are widely admired. So because of those things from these qualities, these things you have, people look, you are proud because you own this. You're proud because you can do this. I mean, I can do a thing. I can be skilled at something, playing an instrument. But the moment I become proud of it, there is no room for God's peace. And in fact, peace also, we've often talked about the peace of the Lord being like the anointing, the presence of God, which it is. Uh, that can be cut off. You can cut the presence of God off out of your life by being proud of those things. And it, it's a trap that a lot of young worship leaders fall into, and a lot of young people in general, and all of them. So the real enemy, really, demons, once again, demons cannot control you, they can only influence you. And so all of these spirits, let's just call them the spirit of avarice, the spirit of ambition, the spirit of envy, the spirit of anger, the spirit of pride, they can only suggest to you. Lucifer did not stick the apple in Eve's mouth. He could only suggest. And so spirits are exactly the same. Never come and say the devil made me do it. Because it's not true. Every man is drawn away and enticed of his own lust, it says in James. That five, those five things that we saw. Don't say God's tempting you, or that some don't say the devil made me do 
That's an easy way out. And early in my Christian life, I saw a lot of people in my home church, that's, that was their thing. They could blame everything on the devil and just go for deliverance. But there was no growth. In other words, the answer was always get it cast out. And I would see the same people coming back with the same demons in every other altar call and needing the same tissues and throwing up in the same bucket. And I started thinking, you know, I think the problem lies deeper than demons. So, but there are manifestations of these spirits. You don't think a demon will dance with you if it keeps you entertained? Yeah. And will play the game with you to keep you off track of what God intends for you to take responsibility for your choices in life and your decisions? And that's exactly what we see. Same with peace. I believe that peace is a choice and the real enemy of peace is you. The only thing to stop you from experiencing peace in your life is you. We know this to be true because Jesus experienced it in the middle of a hurricane. We know this to be true because you can hear about people that are in the middle of a war zone that have the peace of God on them. And that's why it passes all understanding. The peace of God goes beyond our comprehension. Because yeah. you can experience it and live it when you should not live it in absurd, ridiculous, obscene moments of horror in your life. You can sigh and breathe a breath of rest and comfort in the peace of God. And this is the thing that I focused on as I studied it today. So this enemy being in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now this scripture says, and you all know this passage probably by heart, it says we have peace with God, how? Huh? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the agent as the Prince of Peace to come and reconcile or make us peace. So we've made peace with God as we were estranged from Him. Our sins, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, but your sins have put up a wall of division between you and Him. So we were separated from the Father. Jesus came to remedy that problem by dying in our place and reconciling or bringing the two people together again so that we could be in Him even as He was in the Father, like He said. That's the, the definition of the Greek word peace. So he may, we now have peace with God through Jesus. We must work toward a life of peace with the help of our God. Now God's going to help you because you cannot do anything without Him. And that's the whole thing about real peace. Real peace will never be dependent upon what you can do. Well, you just told us that it's us, that we need to make the choice. Yeah, but choosing is one thing, doing is another. You cannot make peace for yourself. You need to allow God to bring the peace for you. Peace is one of those things that are connected to eternity. Anything, in fact, that is a fruit of the Spirit is eternal. And one of them is peace. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. Otherwise, it would be a product of your wisdom and your strength or your flesh or something you could accomplish on earth. But you can accomplish those things. Faith and the real patience that comes from heaven. All those things that are the gifts, they come from the Father of light. So they're coming down from them. So does peace. His peace descends upon you. His peace stands over you. It covers you and protects you. And we take the hand of God and walk in peace that He makes for us. So in this message, I looked into all the places in the New Testament where Paul mentions God with the specific title, God of Peace. And I found seven things 
about God in our relationship with Him, surrounding His role as our God of peace. And of course, the things we can do for ourselves, uh, that showed us that is actually the enemy of peace. Those five enemies of peace. That's all we can do for ourselves. And this is the thing that's so hard for us. And this is the whole theme of yielding. We yield to God. That means to surrender. And God wants us to depend upon Him. Any self-reliance, any self-dependence, the, the whole system breaks down. He wants us to depend upon Him. What does our dependence upon the God of peace do for us? Well, there's a lot of benefits to it. That's this message. Seven things the God of peace will do for you. And that's the... Um, it's not moving now? That's oh, okay. There's no problem. I can keep going. Uh, seven things the God of peace will do for you. We'll start with the first one. Number one, the God of peace will be with you. Bottom line. And now you think, well, that's simple. It is, but it's important because it's a wish. Romans 15.33 says, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now this is a wish, a prayer, or a petition from the Apostle Paul. The first thing that we see here is that God's presence will be with you because of the peacemaking reconciliation of the blood of Jesus. It's because of the blood of the Lamb that you have been reconciled and He brings His peace. That's what Paul's benediction for the people of the churches was, a simple prayer. May the God of peace be with you. And he says it in a certain tense that means, may it be that His peace be upon you. And so the entire point of the work of the cross was to unite us with God. That's what making peace means, like I said, to bring us together and join us as one. I thank God that I can know Jesus personally as I do. Because, by the way, it's the same as the Holy Spirit. You can't know the Holy Spirit if it weren't for the sacrifice of Jesus. But the price He paid was to bring us together. There was a division between us called the veil and the temple, or at least represented by that veil. When He died, it ripped it down. And now God and us can be together. We can be His people. He can be our God in a very personal and intimate way. Number two, the God of peace will draw near when you practice what you've learned. Now this one I found very interesting. Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put, in, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now this is interesting. There are a number of elements in this one verse that I found very interesting. The God of peace will come to you as a result of paying attention to the lessons and teachings of the kingdom that he gives to his servants. So there are servants of God. There are people that God will put in your life to teach you. Mentors, religious leaders, people on YouTube people that you feel God, they, they're there so that he can bring you to a place of peace. And that's how Paul mentions it to those at Philippi. That everything that we learn can lead us to that. Once again, it says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So especially when you put into practice the things that you've learned, we'll see that God will accompany you. Because he said it specifically. Really, everything I've learned about the anointing, everything I've learned about the presence of God, so if you think of God's peace, if God's peace and presence is with you, the God of peace comes, that's his anointing. 
We know that anointing is the smearing of the oil, symbolically, which is his signature on you. When he anoints you, that's because you're his. And he writes his name on you. Like he did the candlestick and the table of shoe bread. And because those were his things. Why he copyrighted securely the recipe for the anointing oil to begin with. So that no one could make a facsimile of it and erroneously rub his perfect signature oil on just anything and call it God's. Because there were a lot that they would have been out there anointing Asherah poles, you know them. So it had to be a specific recipe. <clears throat> That's where I found that the anointing is very specific. It has the identical same fragrance no matter who's wearing that cologne. You hear what I said? It has the identical same fragrance, no matter who's wearing it, because there's only one recipe. And the recipe is secret, and it's kept in a recipe book in eternity. And only God can make it, and only the Holy Spirit can cause it to be poured out on you. And, and only Jesus is the one behind it all. So here, he is, his oil is very... I can go to any country, I can go to any place in the world, and I will recognize that cologne. Now, I, for one, use Boss cologne. And when anybody else is wearing my cologne, I know right away. And I think, good taste. I like that smell. You know how it is. I mean, I own cologne, but I was too, when I walk past a fragrance shop, I'll see the Boss and I'll get a little spray. On the tester. Come on. How many of you have those? Let's be real honest. Right? How many of you have run out of perfume or cologne, but you know you walk through that mall almost every day? You know where I'm going with this. There's times when I did not have the money to get my cologne, and I just make sure that I walk past that and act as if I'm interested. And, oh, what is, the, what is it? Can I, can I? Shh, shh, shh. Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> that way I had cologne. But honestly, when I have done that, as soon as I had the money, I bought the cologne. I want to legitimately buy the cologne. So, but you recognize specific. In fact, if you choose a fragrance that you like, you will never want another fragrance. Once you find your fragrance. Yeah. Somehow old ladies like taboo. What? This is a cologne in America. This thing called taboo. And old, older women, now there's nobody old in this room, by the way, so just relax. But I'm talking about the very old women when I was growing up. I could smell an old woman by this, this one perfume called taboo. So, you know, I also knew back then when I come from a very poor area, so we had very inexpensive colognes. Old Spice. Yeah. Old Spice. And, and I, you could always smell a man. My father belonged to the Knights of Columbus group, and they had all these men that would come together, and anything, everything they did uh, in the Knights of Columbus was an excuse to drink beer. But anyway, they all came together. It was really fun, because during Halloween, they'd make this big haunted house. My father was an electrician, so he would do all the wiring, so I got to be on the inside of the haunted house and see how everything was made. But I noticed all the men smelled like Old Spice. They all wore the same clothes. In fact, so much so that work crews would keep one bottle for everybody to share in the work truck. Wow. And then when they would get somewhere, like go to lunch, they just sprinkle something, put it on, and they would smell fresh. I say thank you to them for doing that. You know, that's, that's good. Uh, I wish there, there are people I meet all the time that I wish they did have some old spots. <laughs> I'll buy it from them. I'll donate old spots. But anyway, the anointing has a fragrance, 
And I have had, I have found that all of my mentors wore the same cologne. Is real No. In spirit. Now I'm back to the analogies. I know I'll, I'll lose you, right? I zigzag back and forth. All of my mentors wore the same fragrance. I didn't put this together until years later. But I realized that those people who wore that cologne, in other words, those that were anointed, those that, oh, I know that smell. Uh, those are the ones that had something to contribute to my life. And all along, God has put me. I've been exposed to many, but they had some other cologne on I didn't recognize. It was just different. It smelled nice, but I don't know if it was from the recipe of heaven. But there are those who are anointed of God's Spirit, and it smells specific. I had Ken Dunbar, who, who was my pastor, and he taught me deliverance. He really taught me how to minister deliverance. He also taught me um, spiritual war and the balance of it, and when it got crazy, because it can get crazy. Remember, always remember the areas of excess in the body of Christ. They're the ones that come and say, um, Lord, Lord, and says, I don't know who you are. What do you mean? Didn't we? And they name things they did. And they sound like legitimate things. Cast out devils, prophesy, do mighty works. But those three things are actually the biggest areas of excess where error can enter. And that's why I think Jesus mentioned it as he did. Be careful with deliverance. Be careful with prophecy. I mean, I love prophecy. I have one simple principle for prophecy. It's confirmation, not information. And if it doesn't confirm something that's in my heart, well, you could just hang on to it. I'll put it on that shelf. Uh, you know, you say, put it on the shelf. You know, I, that shelf is it's like three levels under my basement. You know, I mean, I, it's low because by now, I know. I have a lot of feelings, ideas. I'm close to the Lord and prophecies come and nail it. And I know. So anyway, be careful. Ken Dunbar taught me those realms in balance. He taught me prophecy. He taught me deliverance. He taught me spiritual war. Jim Clark, my Bible school teacher, taught me how to process revelation. Now, I'm referencing these leaders because of the scripture which I will read to you again. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, oh, we got it up here, good. Seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's interesting because these are conditional. You understand? So for the God of peace to be with you, Paul is saying, just do this. And Paul, as a leader or a teacher, he said very clearly, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He praised them for doing the things he taught them. My, my leaders praised me for doing the things that they taught me. They taught me specific patterns and ways. I followed those things because they all wore the same cologne. They all smelled the same. They all had the anointing. My, my Bible school teacher taught me how to process revelation, how to rightly divide the Word of God. Any skill I have in preaching and, and dividing and, and taking the passages and explaining them, Jim Clark. Jim Clark. My pastor was a wonderful anointed man of God, but he wasn't really always that. Often I found his thoughts a bit disjointed and hard to follow. They didn't seem to be a real method. And there, was no, there was no madness. It's just there was not always a method, but he was anointed. And it, it more than made up for it. And he was loving and kind. And his messages, saw, he, he often would have points, but he would skip one, lose one. You know, it would not always be very methodical. But Brother Clark, beautiful messages. 
precept on precept, line upon line. Thank God for the teachers in the body of Christ. Thank God. Without them, we would have a house with rebar missing in the foundation. Uh, there'd be cracks in the walls, poor, shoddy construction. And there's a lot of believers that are built on weak foundations because they did not have a teacher in their life. Uh, Ruth Ann Martinez, my missions mentor, taught me compassion and forgiveness. She taught me on the field, living in Mexico, learning how to deal with cultures. and the different. She taught me absolute forgiveness. She taught me mercy. I saw people do horrible things to her, her husband, and in their ministry. I saw people again and again betray them. I saw people come to them from out of nowhere, and obviously these were bad people. I could spot them a mile off. I was more like Abishai. Look, give me the spear. I'll one strike. I will pin him to the ground. And they, no, no. They're always saying, "Look, brother, you you just need to learn compassion." They were the ones that always said. Now I say it all the time myself, but I learned it somewhere. Everything we have, we learn. We don't just come up with this stuff. We have mentors. We have leaders. We have teachers. We have good preaching that helps us become a mosaic of all these ideas that make us who we are. Our characters formed in those times. And it's exactly what came from Ruth Ann. Uh, compassion. Forgiveness. Somebody sinned, she fixed it. They fixed it. They did. They were always Shem and Japheth. They were never Ham. They always covered sin. Always covered. All some brother would fall in error. Somebody would commit adultery. Somebody would be caught stealing. Some in other ministries, I'd see that was it. That's the the best thing you want to do is have the accursed thing in your midst. They treat them like Achan and destroy them. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to restore. And Ruth Ann showed me they there are people I just oh they're out of here. Oh man, let me call the cops. We'll get them arrested. And she'd be like, no, and she'd be weeping. She said, they're souls. They're souls. Their names too are in the Lamb's Book of Life. She made me feel so sick about myself and my short-sightedness. I understand she taught me. And because I began to live those patterns, she showed me the God of peace came to me. And same thing with uh, later Rodney Hunter Brown was one of my mentors I learned a lot from. He taught me uh, principles of yielding to the Holy Spirit, the ebb and flow of the anointing, how to release the anointing, how to draw the anointing. He taught me how to take the anointing, everything about the anointing, amazing teachings he taught me. He taught me, and everything he taught me. Now, all these people taught me, but learning by what I've gained from these relationships, I'm going to show you five things. There's a pattern. These are what exactly are written in that passage. Learned, received, heard, saw, practice. That this, the things you learned from me, Paul said. The things you received from me, Paul said. The things you heard from me. The things you saw in me. Put those into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I think you already see what I see. They're really simple. That we learn from our mentors a way that will ensure that we are in the same place as the God of peace. He will be with us. But if we step off that path, we step off out of mercy into judgment. We step off out of the true anointing and start wearing a different cologne. 
If we step off out of sound doctrine and the balance of scriptures into just some crazy prophetic thing where anything goes. If we step off, my mentors put me on a path where God's peace dwells. And I stay there because it protects me. And that doctrine I've received, I preach it so that it will keep me safe and keep those and save those that hear it, the scripture says. Save me and you and everyone that hears it. Because these are the things I've learned from Kinnabar. Learning is one thing. Those are the lessons taught. Receiving is the spiritual component. Receive. What's he talking about receive? He's not talking about money. He's not talking about goods. He's not talking about a robe or a stick or a scroll or a book or a bag or, any, or shoes. He's talking about, he says, I long to see you so that I might impart some spiritual thing. He spoke of the anointing and the presence of God as a tangible, physical thing. Although it's invisible, it's as real to Paul as anything. That's why he had to go to them and see them in order to impart it. By the laying on of hands, those things, that's what we receive. And then what we hear, we hear those words coming from heaven through those people. All that will keep us on that path. What we see in their lives. We learn so many things watching our mentors. We serve under people. We see things. A lot of things we're going to see we don't agree with. A lot of things we're going to see that we have trouble accepting. It's not our place to judge. Not our place to judge. Just allow. If there is a structure in place, if they have a pastor, let the pastor do it. Let it be balanced out. But if you're under and you're in that place, just you're going to see things in people all the time that you don't quite understand, but you're going to also see a lot of wonderful things. I saw amazing things in the life of all my mentors. And I put them into practice. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And I put that under the second point here altogether because I see it as the God of peace will draw you to that when to be drawn to you when you put into practice the things you've learned. Amen? Now we go to number three. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Now, of course, if you're a spiritual warfare enthusiast, you read this and you're like, yeah, hallelujah. And there are a lot of people excited about spiritual war. I think it's good. You know, I mean, I grew up in, I grew up in the heyday of spiritual war. I grew up where every song was about fighting the devil. We didn't even praise God. I mean, it was every, everything was... Come back to the camp of the enemy, take back what the devil stole from me. Every song was something about a war with the devil. The devil got more airtime than Jesus. And that's what led me to look at it over a broad spectrum of time. That, whoa, wait a minute, I think we're getting out of hand here. Seems like a lot, every message was about the devil, where the devil is, what the devil's doing, this spirit, that spirit. Before you know it, all of our prayer meetings were going to go find demons. Everything was a demon hunt. We were going to places. We weren't going to places to win souls. We were going to places to find demons. So we could expose them. I know logically, well, so we can find out about the history. Or did you know there was a graveyard here before? And that these people were buried. And these people were worshippers of Satan. And because of that, the spirit, yeah, or oh, whatever. I always think of um, Rodney Hart Brown. Uh, that went to, he was like in Disney World or something like that. He brought some people with him who were a bit religious. And uh, he, they were like, uh, just, Brother Rodney, can't you feel it? And he's like, what? Well, they're standing in Disney World. <laughs> they asked, Brother Rodney, can't you, can't you feel it? He says, feel what? And they said, just the oppression. 
the spirits, you know, the darkness, the consumerism, all these, you see, men, and he says, he says they said the devil is everywhere. He looked at them and he says, literally, and I quote it because I love the quote, the hell with the devil, I'm going to ride the roller coaster. <laughs> and he went and had a good time. Well, I'll tell you what, just like the poor, the devil you have with you always. If you resist him, he'll flee from you. If you pay attention to him, he'll hang close. If you focus on him, he's going to be. Pay attention to him and focus on him. Just ignore, don't worry about them. We're not ignorant of his devices. But what if his devices are, in fact, to get us caught up in so many schemes and plans and trippy ideas about who he is and what he is and what he does that we get entangled in that? That's exactly what I've seen the devil do through the years. But so this kind of balances us with the God of peace does. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So I remember, um, I remember the words of Catherine Kuhlman once when she said that we can gain a victory by surrender. And in fact, when a lot of people she led into the healing of cancer, because she saw quite a few miraculous healings of cancer in her ministry, she taught them to give in. She taught them to stop fighting. Because all of them were taught to fight the cancer. You gotta hang in there. You gotta fight it. You gotta fight. She taught, when I heard her preach that, I thought, what? She said, just give in. Just surrender. Surrender to the cancer. This cancer is cancer. And she says it's a horrible thing. It, it'll eat you from the inside out and you will die. So what are you going to do? You fight it? What is that going to do? Now I know there are some cases where people seem to fight it and through chemotherapy and other treatments they actually have or maybe even an amputation of something that was invested with cancer. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not summing up everything. But she said she led people to just give up. In that surrender, like Hezekiah and Isaiah with with Sennacherib, the Lord sends the angel to fight the war. And this is what I see in this. So we often think of the spiritual war against the devil as something that we must do. But the fact is that we do not crush the devil in this passage. Yeah. Who's crushing? Jesus. Jesus. But somehow he ends up under our feet. <laughs> so it reminds me of Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns. No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it's interesting that we are given, you know how a victory was won, you stood on the enemy. To mark the victory, David went to Goliath and stood upon him and took his own sword, raised it, and removed his head to say, I've won. That was the signal to the Philistines and the Israelites. He won because he stood on him. I don't think Goliath would let David walk all over him if he was alive. That was just a symbol they gave. When this says this, it means victory. First, he's crushed. Believe me, you don't want to stand on top of a living devil. Just let Jesus crush him first. So he puts this pile of crushed up devil on the ground and he says, now come stand on him. Come stand on him. 
It's like the daddy with the fishing pole and the little kids just hanging on to the end of it and they catch the fish and say, oh, look at the fish you caught, baby. Very proud of you. No, you didn't catch the fish. Daddy was there doing everything. Made him feel good. That's how Jesus is with us. He's the one that won the victory. He's the one that paid the price. But yet he gives us the credit because we are more than conquerors. If we were conquerors, he would call us conquerors. The Bible's not calling us a conqueror. Don't go around and say, I'm a conqueror. No, you're not. I hate to break the news to you. you. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thank God for His grace and His mercy that He will give us the victory that we did not earn. And that's exactly what the God of peace wants us to understand. So our confidence should never be directed to ourselves when it comes to the battles of life that we fight. Don't fight your battles. Give them to the Lord. Give them to the Lord. The God of peace has already taken care of it all. We just need to cooperate with His plan. Number four. The God of peace will sanctify you through and through. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 We're going to divide this one verse up into two halves because it's double on things that the God of peace does. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Now, this is what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, prayed for us in the 17th chapter of John. Remember, He said, sanctify. Same word. This is the same word also used in the Lord's Prayer. It says, Hallowed be thy name. Sanctify that name. Which only means to separate it for the purpose of designation as something special or holy. To hallow it. So, in this case, God wants to separate you. The God of peace will separate you. It means to put you in a specific place for a reverent purpose. You're no longer living for yourself. You're no longer living for your own plans and ideas. You once were under the prince of the power of the air, but now you're under the prince of peace. Now you're under the one that has an agenda for you and a plan for you. That's why he is consecrating or sanctifying you. He doesn't sanctify you so that you can be you and all the you-ness can come out. And everybody can applaud how you you are. Oh, you're just so you. It's beautiful. No. You need to remain dead. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody wants you. I know this fights against and chides harshly against all psychology taught in schools and in the secular world. Everybody says you have to believe in yourself. There's not one verse in the Bible to say that. And anybody that uses verses or say it, it does. It says, no, you just need to look a little closer. It doesn't say that. I'm strong. No, you're not. You're strong, but it's through Christ who strengthens you. He's just using you as a puppet. And the more you understand that humility, that perspective, then His sanctification of your life comes. He sanctifies you through and through. I like that because that means it's a phrase meaning utterly, completely, without any limitations. Through and through. There's no part of you at all left. All of it is redeemed. The good and the bad and the ugly. All of you. Your bad habits. He takes everything. He takes the sourness of you. He takes your stupidity, your dumbness, and your anger. He separates it for himself. He might be hot-headed, but he's mine. Think about that. He might be stupid sometimes, but that's my boy. You better back off. That's sanctification. He doesn't sanctify us on the grounds of our holiness. He doesn't separate us because we were so special. He chose us like the perfect watermelon from the market. He sanctifies us for one reason and one reason only because we cry out His name. Because we cry in the name of Jesus. 
by that name. By that name, we are sanctified. And we are His. And He roots, He makes a list of all His possessions and He puts them in His book. These are mine. Okay, anyone on this list, these are mine. And the Father one day is going to want to know, okay, which ones did you choose? Well, actually, they, they chose me. But I chose, yeah, I guess you, whatever. Here's their names. And these are the ones. Oh, okay, so the rest are not in that book? No, okay, well, all the, those guys go in the lake of fire. Let's get rid of them, because if they didn't choose you while they were there, I want nothing to do with them. That's going to be a sad and horrible day. But I thank God that we're sanctified through and through every bit of this, every part and parcel, every segment, every element, every component, every factor, all, no matter what, every molecule, every cell, every atom, every photon, every neutron. God said, that's mine. Sanctify you as a package. I'm so grateful. He also takes ownership, the anointing, the glum, that he puts on you, says that you're his. Now, because of it, he also begins to do things in you that he wants to do. So, when he sanctifies you, of course, now you are separate for a purpose, but people uh, are going to look at you in a certain way and think that, well, you know, he's got a lot of problems. They've got a lot of issues. A lot of issues. I don't know if we can trust them. Well, God trusts them, but he only trusts them because of righteousness, which he comes to. Number five, the God of peace will keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand this passage. Let me explain it. May God himself, the God of peace, now that first part we already looked at, so we just skip to the end part of the verse. Uh, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in connection also with, with the God of peace. God of peace makes you blameless. That means not that you will be blameless because of you. Get your eyes off yourself. But you'll be blameless because he said so. Because you were sanctified with all the idiosyncrasies of your simplicities and your ignorance and your dumbness. As well the qualities. There are some qualities there to be fair. I just don't look at them. I just focus on the bad. Because if I can love the bad in you and in myself and love him for loving me, then i got this thing figured out. And nothing can touch me. You understand? And if he gives me some some accolade or some praise for something I do right, well, I lucked out. But I know that I'm safe and secure in the sanctity of his presence, and he presents me blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, he will point at me and um uh, and say, This is mine. The Spirit of God, the God of peace, does this for us. This has always been the plan of the God of peace. Look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Very popular passage, but it is apropos at this moment. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth 
under Christ. So here is the absolute reigning power of Jesus that will make us blameless because we were made part of something that he strategized and called to be his own long before time began, which is a beautiful thing. Number six, the God of peace will equip you with every good for doing his will, everything good for doing his will. So Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. So it says, if you take out the embedded uh, explanation, now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing His will. That's exactly what He does. So the God of peace will give you everything necessary to fulfill His mandates for your life in His kingdom. It does not say He will give you anything you want. Be careful to understand what the passage is saying. He'll equip you with everything good for doing His will. Not equip you with everything good for doing your will. He'll give you some of the desires of your heart, but He will limit what you get and how you get it because more important to Him than anything else is His agenda, His plan, His strategy. What He wrote a long time ago. You weren't even around. You, weren't, you didn't even exist. He made the plan, and all of a sudden you come along with a better idea. I don't think so. I think his plan is better. I think his ideas are better than ours. The only problem with his plans and his thoughts and his ideas is they're above ours, and, and we cannot quite reach them or understand them all the time. That does not mean we are excluded from the necessity of obeying them. We must do his plan. He wrote it already. It's in heaven. It's in a book. The way I pictured it is there's a book on a shelf in heaven of sorts, and it's a beautiful leather-bound book with gilded letters written on it, and it's your name. There's your name, the book of Lynette. It's written up there, and it's beautiful. You can take it down and open it, and if you do open it, you're going to see that there is a beautiful silk ribbon marking a place that will show you immediately from the top of the book. You can see just about where you are in life. If it's in the very beginning, you know you have a long life ahead. It would be scary if it's toward the end. <laughs> but it's a plan that's being played out, a strategy that he has for your life that is the best possible idea. It is a blueprint. Somebody who's heard me talk, teach before on the foundations that God lays, he creates a blueprint, a very good suggestion of the best case scenario. This is what it should be. Of course, no house being built can follow 100% the blueprint that was made. They, because there are some things that were unforeseen that had to be taken care of. That's why even prophecy did not fulfill exactly as it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Even though, if not, Jesus would not have been called. Jesus would be called Emmanuel. Yeah. But it was in principle God with us, meaning his name People cry out to Emmanuel. But the angel didn't say, you shall call him Emmanuel. You call him Jesus. And it's interesting to see a lot of things that played out prophetically a little differently. Yeah. Ever read Messianic prophecies and see the fulfillment of them and think, yeah, but it's a little bit different? That's not God's fault. That's the fault of the fact that we are creatures of will and we live on a planet where men make choices. If not, we would just be mindless automatons set in motion in a videotape that can never be altered. And what will be, what will be. Well, that's Calvinism. What will be, what will be. I don't need to forget being a missionary. I don't need to preach the gospel. If they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. If they don't get saved, that's not my choice. They were destined to go to hell. I can't accept that. 
Okay, set that, and I don't see it as biblical. Of course, someone who is a Calvinist would come and argue with me about predestination, but I'm just going by my take on the Bible. But here we see, when your focus is on the people to whom you teach and share, because it says here, equip you, what is he equipping you with? Well, everything good. He's not going to give you anything bad. He's going to give you, his plans are not to harm you, but to prosper you, give you a future, and the fulfillment of his plans. The God of peace will give you everything necessary to fulfill his mandates for your life in his kingdom. And when your focus is on the people to whom you teach and share the good news of the kingdom, the God of peace will continually provide the tools and giftings you need. He anoints those in his service. That's his plan. That's his strategy. Yeah, if you get all focused and you're starting to do things on your own and you become Saul and you're offering sheep yourself, not waiting for Samuel and not killing all of the animals and the people of the Amalekites but keeping some alive and you start altering God's plan, telling God, look God, I know you're God and everything and you've been around, well, always, but... I have a different perspective, so this is what I want. Don't do that. Yield to what God wants. God will give you a lot of leeway, but He equips you with things for His will, and that's what the God of peace is doing. And finally, our last one, number seven. The God of peace will work in us what is pleasing to Him. And this I find very interesting. The Scripture says, Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now that's the precursor to the two things I've divided from Hebrews 13. It says, work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's interesting, what's pleasing to him. Once again, remember the enemies of peace. All selfish things. So the advocates of peace are all selfless things. Everything that will promote peace, everything that causes the God of peace to reign supreme and be in your life without ever separating from you, walking with you, guiding you, it requires that you be giving and outward and be like Jesus. That everybody else be the priority. That you love people, serve people, give to other people. The God of peace is working hard to make us into what is pleasing to him, how many want to please God? Of course. I want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into this rest, this joy I have for you. I want to hear him say over me, this is, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I really, really desperately want to please my Father in heaven. And this should be our constant desire, I believe. We should all yield to the plan of God to become more and more pleasing to Him. And that's all I want. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is interesting because the God of peace made a plan for our earthly work for him before this planet existed, as I said. Before earth was, he knew. He made a plan that would be pleasing to him is because it's his idea. Have you ever been with somebody and you're making plans together and you come up with what you want and you tell them that's what you want? And everybody just agrees by chance. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. And you're happy, right? Because you got what you wanted. How much more God 
gets when he gets what he wants is happy. That's the pleasure that this is talking about. When a child of God, that is someone redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who believed in Jesus, who was given the right to make children of God out of anyone who would come to him and believe, when we believe and do what he said, then the Father is pleased. He's pleased. We're going out to eat. I'm very hungry for hamburger, and you want fried chicken. And so we're going to go to KFC or we're going to go to McDonald's. Uh, what do you want? But inside my heart of hearts, I've already said, uh, hamburger? I really love a hamburger. And you then, you have a, your plan was fried chicken. You wanted fried chicken. You wanted that three-piece meal. You wanted spicy. You wanted, you know, with that thick, crunchy crust, steamy hot. When you peel the crust off, it's like one big shell, and the steam pours out. And, and you'll see that liquid, that juice just kind of pour out, and, and you crunch and eat. Yum, 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 yum. Uh, by the way, I had a really good piece of chicken the other day at Don Don Donkey. Oh, it was so good. Have you ever been to Don Don Donkey? Oh, it's fun. It's like going to Japan. It's like you're in Japan. If you want to go to Japan without going to Japan, go to Don Don Donkey. But the, I warn you, there's a song playing there that's going to drive you insane. Don Don Donkey. Don Don. It's repeat. By the time you finish, you're twitching. I asked the employees, how can you <laughs> One guy just said, we, we just kind of ignore it. I said, yeah, you, you have to. But it's really nice. Big piece of chicken. So you want chicken, I want hamburger. We're on our way. We can both go to Bichon. We can both get down to Bichon Station because you know both of those options are there. But you know, I want a hamburger. And KFC will have a hamburger. Well, they have a chicken sandwich. I don't want a chicken sandwich. My will is a hamburger. And you can, you have a choice then, agree or not. So you could say, you know what? There's chicken McNuggets. You can get your burger and I can get my chicken. Make a compromise. God is like that in the fulfillment of his plan. He'll let you get chicken nuggets while a hamburger is the will. As long as you end up in the same place doing basically the same thing that he desires, he gives you a lot of artistic license. He will take care of He's good, but always yield to him. If you become insistent, well, I, I frankly just don't want a hamburger, okay? I want chicken, and I want the kind of chicken, unyielding, unflexible. It has to be only Texas chicken, because that's the only one I want to eat. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't eat KFC, I eat Texas. But only Texas chicken. Yeah. If you want really good fried chicken, go to Baltimore Plaza and go to um, the Waffle Town, the best fried chicken in the city that I have found. But anyway, that's another subject. Just who for thought. Really good fried chicken, like American fried chicken, like chicken in my home city. It's pretty close, like New Orleanian fried chicken. Hmm? I'm way off subject here. The God of peace. How many of you know I'm hungry? I'm thinking food's, food is invading. Food, the avarice of food, the envy of people eating is robbing my peace. No, I'm here with the God of peace. He has a plan for me. I'm going to do it wherever he wants me to do. That's why I'm standing in Singapore right now. This is not my will. <laughs> well, you don't love us? Of course I love you, but I don't want to be here. I have a lot. Honestly? Switzerland? <laughs> Hello? People in the Swiss Alps need Jesus. <laughs> I could be in a, in a wooden cabin on a ski slope with a, a smoking jacket on and a wool cap, 
drinking hot chocolate, sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with people. Yeah. I have to go to McDonald's and eat a hamburger because it doesn't matter if I want fried chicken. That's what I'm saying. We do what the Father wants because He has a plan. And it can only be done. We do that. God of peace made that plan and we must endeavor to live that plan and this can only be done by careful and consistent submission, yielding to His Spirit's influence in life. Amen? Amen. It says here, the God of peace, I'll recap, the God of peace, seven things the God of peace will do for you. One, as you yield to Him, the God of peace will be with you. And that's a wish. My prayer for you tonight is that the God of peace be with you. Paul said it another way, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you. That the abiding presence, the deep presence of the Master, the God of peace, would be standing over you at all times, protecting your heart and your thoughts. Number two, the God of peace will draw near when you practice what you've learned. What you have learned, what you have seen, what you've heard, it says, what, what they've taught, what you've received, all of those things. That in itself is a message. That what we receive from our mentors, our leaders, all of you come here and I preach, I teach, I do hard work to get this together. I put it all together. I realize I'm like a man with a machine gun when I'm preaching. Don't think I don't understand that I'm dumping a lot of information on you at one time. I'm not expecting you to get it all. Because we have different different ages in this room. Every time I have a meeting, there, there are young believers, there are older believers. I want to give so much. It's a buffet. Just take, sometimes you just grasp that one little thing. Take that. That's enough. Just take that. I just want to make sure everybody has enough to eat. Because you're the sheep, and God said, if I love him, I'm going to feed you. So while you're here to eat, I'm going to bring you to green pastures. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Let him do the crushing. First of all, you don't want to face off with the devil by yourself. Yeah, it's true. He's bigger, better, smarter, stronger than you are. He will win. But the thing, he's already lost. Yeah. If you're on the side of Christ. I wouldn't want to grapple with the devil if Christ was not my Lord. Because I see people doing it, and it is a, it's a losing battle. They lose. He allows them to have things. He gives them even rewards as long as they obey his mandates. He's not much different from God in that respect. He will reward uh, Katy Perry if she no longer wants to follow on Christ. A very, very rich and successful young woman. Because she's turned her back on Jesus. I mean, you see things like this. That Satan is there, but we have a God of peace that will crush Satan under our feet if we resist the devil and we depend upon the help of Christ. He'll make us more than comfortable. Number four, the God of peace will sanctify you through and through. Every single part of you will be separated for Him and Him alone. He will spray His cologne all over you. Number five, the God of peace will keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, the God of peace, reconciliation, and togetherness will keep you blameless so that you will not be torn apart from your eternal fall. No matter what, at the end, He will still see you as pure. Now we need to do our best, but don't be so frightened that your mistakes will cause you to be separated from God. Understand, He's got a grace and mercy. Make your choices to do the right thing, but know that your dependence is not upon your ability to do the right thing, but your ability to yield to Him. And that will lead you to repentance. His kindness, that He does give you that grace, 
is what causes real change to come about out of gratitude. That's the key to, to holiness, live through you. So, number six, the God of peace will equip you with everything good for doing His will. Not some things, not a few things, not just the things that maybe you deserve, but it says everything good for doing His will. That means all things that are necessary, that are there's nothing He will call you to do according to His plan that He will not provide for. It will always be there. In fact, a long time ago, I learned a simple principle. If He's not providing for it, He didn't call me to do it. It's something I come up with. And it's a way that He slowly whittles off the me and allows the Him to remain. As soon as I turn my eyes toward the thing that's Him, it rains money from Heaven. When I look at the thing that I want to do, it's like a Sahara desert. It's dry and there's only cactus. When I look at His thing, oh, there's rivers of gold flowing. Because that's what He does. He wants to support that. Otherwise, He would make us into monsters. Number seven, the God of peace will work in us what is pleasing to Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.